This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Political Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Because natural disasters are becoming more and more common due to climate change, hundreds of thousands of people live in climate-vulnerable areas, and it's up to Congress and the federal government to figure out how to help them. It's a question that not only impacts those people, but also real estate, public infrastructure, and insurance markets. So far, Washington has taken a cautious approach, earmarking billions of new taxpayer dollars to help victims of extreme weather leave their vulnerable homes. But a Politico investigation showed that many of those taxpayer-backed programs aren't exactly successful at achieving positive outcomes, as evident by Tulsa, Oklahoma, which has been historically hit by floodwaters. So today we chat with Politico Zach Coleman about what's happening in Tulsa and if the federal government is actually ready to confront climate risk. It's Tuesday, November 29th. So, Zach, you traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma, a city that is demonstrating the federal government's struggle to move people away from areas vulnerable to climate change impacts. So why did you choose to spotlight Tulsa and how is it exemplary of this problem? Well, I chose to spotlight Tulsa because it was one of the shining beacons of moving people out of harm's way. It was a city that grew overnight in the 50s and 60s into these watersheds that would overflow and flood. And it was a consistent problem as the city grew. It got to a point where there was this enormous flood in 1986 that is still the high water flood for the city. And it destroyed a bunch of houses. Its citizens decided to tax itself with a stormwater fee. Not many places would agree to tax themselves to get on top of this problem. And they used that fee to start buying people out of these repeatedly flooded homes. And people wanted it. And the city combined that stormwater fee with a lot of new federal programs in later years. In the 90s, these federal programs to start moving people away from floodwaters really came into vogue. And you saw this massive movement of homes away from flood-prone areas. In fact, Tulsa, the city, has moved more than 1,000 repeatedly flooded properties away from harm since the 1970s. Now, the flip side is I focus a lot on the county. The county hasn't had that same level of success in recent years. It doesn't have a stormwater fee. Counties cannot assess these sorts of taxes in Oklahoma. And I wanted to focus on an area in the middle of the country that has more of a conservative bent, that has this oil and gas history to demonstrate that this is happening everywhere. This is not just a Miami problem. This is not just a California problem. And there is an ability to be proactive. And places like Tulsa, the city, have shown that you can do that. But with climate change and development patterns are so many of these places across the country. And a lot of places are having to look at these types of programs and movement away from harm in a more concerted manner. Right. And so far, you report that Washington, looking at this problem as a whole, is taking a cautious approach using carrots rather than sticks to prod victims of extreme weather events to move away. So what has Congress done lately in in this area? And from what you've investigated with how we're actually spending the money, what are you seeing that shows that it's falling short of what's needed? 
Yeah, so Congress in the last year has put unprecedented money behind these programs that buy out repeatedly flooded homes, that move people away from harm, even updating regulations at the federal level that would have the effect of reducing the amount of people in harm's way. There is a lot more money coming through. That brings stability, that brings predictability for the governments that want to use these federal programs. But these federal programs are very difficult to understand, very complicated, very bureaucratic. In fact, when I was investigating this story, I mean, one of the reasons I focused on Tulsa was because of this 2019 flood that destroyed 335 homes. There were a lot of people that wanted to take advantage of this $36 million grant from HUD that would essentially pay people whose homes had been damaged to leave. But three and a half years on, not one person has received money for a federal buyout, which has really left people in a hard position. Wow. And you also report the federal government and Congress are starting to look into another strategy called managed retreat. It was once taboo, but you report it's now getting more serious consideration. So what is that strategy and what are the limits of this approach? So managed retreat is a concept in which you essentially say this area is uninhabitable or too risky because of climate change and other hazards. So we should consciously move away from these areas to limit harm. And the federal government, through its various regulations that it's considering and through the money that Congress has put into programs to buy people out of repeatedly flooded homes, is acknowledging in a way that this is a reality that governments have to contend with. Now, even in the bipartisan infrastructure law that passed in November 2021, there was some money for tribal relocation. And in fact, in October, the Interior Department just selected a few tribes to get that grant. Where we run up against the limits of managed retreat is the government wants to do this via carrots. And it is a very difficult thing to find that community that really wants to do this in a holistic way and move everyone and everything and forget about all the emotional attachment to place, cultural attachments and go through with this process. It gets very tricky. People are connected to where they live. And there is not that second layer, which is we have this place for you to move to as an entire community. And that is the trick with managed retreat. It's not about just getting people out of harm's way. It's also trying to replace that community in a different place. You know, when there is a willingness on the ground, the federal government seems to be willing to have a conversation like we're seeing with that tribal relocation program, but it is very much in fits and starts. It's very nascent. It's just a question of how prevalent will this be in our country's future that you have entire communities saying, you know what, this is not a safe place for us to be. We all decide that we should relocate. And that is a tough question to answer. How often will that happen? Also, on Monday, the Interior Department proposed a new rule aimed at reducing the venting and flooring of methane from oil and gas production on federal lands. The rule from the Bureau of Land Management is separate from EPA's own proposed methane rule from earlier this month and will update the current venting and flooring regulations that are over 40 years old. The new proposal would set a general requirement for operators to use, quote, all reasonable precautions to prevent the waste of oil or gas developed from the lease. The BLM estimated the rule would cost $110 million annually, but have total net benefits of $372 million a year, or almost $3.2 billion through 2031. 
The effort from BLM comes two years after a federal judge struck down an Obama-era interior regulation that sought to curb methane waste for relying too heavily on, quote, ancillary climate benefits. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.